Hey guys, welcome to the Step Up Podcast, where we delve into different topics to learn more about ourselves and more about others. On today's episode, I have a wonderful chat with my friend Rita, host of the Girl Unplugged Podcast, and we are talking about feminism. We talk about how we grew up, our beliefs about it, and our how we found our empowerment as women. I just want to give you a heads up that because feminism is a controversial topic and there are some challenging things that we do talk about that can trigger somebody, and I do swear once or twice, listener discretion is advised. I really appreciate your podcast. You go into so many different topics and you share so much of your own story. And I just, I find it fascinating. You do talk about your experiences from growing up in Nigeria, being a woman and accepting yourself as a woman and being more of a feminist. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey through that? Okay, so you know how you grow up and while growing up, your parents, they teach you how you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do because of your gender. And so it wasn't any different for me. I grew up in a family where I was the first child. And in an African family, being a first child is a big deal and comes with a lot of responsibilities. And so my dad trained me as a first child and a first son. So he would always tell me, if you were a boy, you would be my first son. But regardless, now that you're a girl, I don't see you any less. So I would treat you and raise you as if I was raising my first son. And so I think that was how coming into some of the feminist ideals was for me, because I would wash my dad's car. I would fix his tires in the car if it's flat. I would do a lot of things that is not considered feminine. And yeah, that was how it started until I left home. I left home. I started experiencing the world for myself. And then it was a little different because some people perceive me as too hard for a girl because I never saw anything as impossible for me to do. But before then, or then I didn't know what feminism was. I've not yet grasped the idea of what feminism, <laughs> feminism looked like. So in all of that, I was like, but I don't see this as abnormal. And my desires were not inclined to any gender. If I want something, I go for it. If I feel like I need something, <laughs> I go for it. And then I read a book by Chimamanda Adichie. She's a renowned feminist. I don't know whether you know her. So I read her book, We Should All Be Feminists. And I said to myself, this is it. Okay. And I said to myself, this is it. This lady thinks like me. So this is what this is all about. This is what it's called. And yeah, I kind of embraced it fully for myself because I knew it wasn't something abnormal. It's not, it wasn't something for me to feel awkward about. And it kind of also validated my, my choices and my preferences. 
and my mind and the way I think. And yes, from then onwards, I took it and I, <laughs> I ran with it. So, and that means that in every space I find myself, I do not condone bullying because of my gender. I do not condone sexism. I do not condone anything that makes me feel less than another human, another person, and especially the other gender. I don't take it. (laughs) So it's been a, a learning process and growing in that regard. That's amazing that your dad was showing you the things that typically, and this is one thing that I find very interesting. A lot of things are typically, we think of girl chores and boy chores or things like that, right? Yeah. I remember one time saying to a roommate, I was like, oh, why should we have to shovel snow? That's like what boys do. And she goes, what? (laughs) (laughs) Because for me, it was like, well, the girls do the cleaning. Mm-hmm. and the cooking mm-hmm. and the guys handle the other stuff like fixing toilets. And yes. she was like, I fix my own toilet. And I was like, whoa, really? <laughs> I mean, I was so clueless. <laughs> so that's really awesome. I think that's important for parents to teach your kids. And I mean, we all need to learn how to change a tire and do those kind of things, right? Yeah. And you know what? For my dad, I think he's a feminist. I would say that... He had foresight. He had his own ideals that may have aligned somehow with the feminist ideals, but he wasn't doing it because he wanted to raise a feminist or because he believed in feminism. I think he had his own ideals that as a human being, you shouldn't be raised in such a way that you, you are limited in your thinking or you think you cannot do something or shouldn't do something because like you need to see the world as your oyster. Nothing is impossible for you. (laughs) You're right. You get so because why I said this is because there were other times he would make some certain remarks because of my gender. And I'll be like, ah, why did you say that to me? Is it because I'm a girl? You know, there is a way I would act. He would be like, you're too strong-willed for a woman. Why do you act? Why do you have a heart of a man? You know, he would say such things and I'll be like, should you be saying that to me? <laughs> is there a particular way a man thinks or is there a particular heart that a man has? So with such remarks, I know that, okay, it's not really a feminist ideal thing he's following, but he just had his own ideal of how to raise or what to, how to raise his children. Yes. Right. That's awesome. I found different things said to me throughout the years growing up. I grew up in a very conservative Christian household. Mm. So there would be certain things said and I was like, oh, I guess as a female, this is what we're supposed to do or what we're not supposed to do. Yeah. And that really kind of messed with my head. And it wasn't until recently where I've been learning so much and and finding my empowerment within that. Like, why should we have to put up with certain things? No, (laughs) we have the power to say no to things and have boundaries. And like, why is that such a problem for people to understand sometimes? I agree with you. And I think that's that was my own challenge. One thing that I've noticed with certain things like rape, divorce, affairs, a lot of times, and I've done this myself, we blame women 
right? Mm. Like, oh, she's the temptress. She tempted me. So I had to rape her. She, it was her fault. We got divorced because she wasn't following what I wanted her to do. Mm. And I used to also believe that stuff. And now I'm like, no, wait a minute. Why is the woman always getting blamed? Mm. That's not right. (laughs) So I think we've been raised and culture, tradition, religion has found a way to train women to carry that responsibility of making a man. So if a man is not made, by made I mean like successful or doing well, it's either the fault of the mother who couldn't raise him well or the wife who couldn't support him to be that good man. And so it's as if the responsibility is on the women folk to raise a good son, raise a good man, the wife to support and raise a good husband. And so it's not a surprise that the blame comes back to us because when a man cannot have something as as simple as self-control. Yeah, self-control is not easy, but it's simple. It's knowing that I shouldn't do this because of this. And then it's the woman's fault because maybe she showed skin. And I always have this argument with some of my colleagues. I tell them the fact that we we are made pleasing to the eye shouldn't be the reason why men should feel entitled to whatever part of our body it is. Yeah, you hear narratives like men are moved by what they see and women are moved by what they hear. And I'm like, okay, I see a good man and I like him. If I see a man that is built, I am also moved. We should squash these narratives because it is perpetuating (laughs) it is perpetuating a sense of entitlement in men. It is perpetuating abuse and thinking that men are entitled to our body. And so it's a lot of things. And I think for us to begin to retrace our step back, we need to go back to the foundations, to the church, to the, to our traditions and norms and try to review these things, review those ones that no longer serve us that makes men feel like they don't have control over their bodies, that makes men feel like they cannot be anything without a woman, that makes men feel like they are entitled and they are supposed to subjugate women to feel like men. Uh -uh. (laughs) We need to start reviewing all those things because that is what makes us women feel the pressure to want to be more for men makes us feel the pressure to be less than what we are. And even when we want to express ourselves, we cannot because we feel like doing that means we are emasculating the men. Being a full woman in her full expression almost feels like doing that will emasculate a man when it is not true. My friend sent me this clip of this one past in the Southern States. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he was going off and saying, you need to look good for your man. You need to work out. I mean, we should all be working out and being our best selves. I'm not saying we shouldn't. (laughs) But for this guy to say, woman, you need to do this because we're very visual people. 
we need to look at you and you need to be gorgeous. And that guy got called out and now he's taken a sabbatical apparently. But he had like a big pot belly himself. Like, excuse me, who are you to say anything? And I understand men are visual. But <laughs> as a kid, I had such a hard time. I thought I was unworthy because I was chubby and I was constantly teased for it. And I was I felt I was ugly. So I thought I am not good enough for a man. Mm. No man will ever want me because they're visual and they want Cindy Crawford. That's right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think for me, right. I was telling a friend a few days ago that I think I came into my sexual liberation late. And by that, I don't mean in terms of having sex. I mean, like in terms of accepting my body the way it is, because I've been that girl that always is on intermittent fasting or dieting or working out because I have that tendency to be chubby. My metabolism is slow. So I am. If I don't exercise or if I eat too much, I get fat, okay, or I get chubby. And so I'm always reminded I shouldn't look fat because no man will want you looking fat, especially my mom, because it's an African thing, right? My mom is like, no, you don't have to get fat now because if you get fat now, your husband is not going to like you and, you know, you still need to give birth. That means when you now get pregnant, you'll be fatter than this, and then you will not be desirable. And oh. <laughs> so I was telling my friend that I came into my sexual liberation late because I'm not skinny. I'm a bit chubby, but I have grown to accept every inch of my body because I feel like my body has done so much for me that it's, it's very unfair to put that kind of pressure on it, you get. And for me, that is a liberation that I feel adds to my, both my sexuality and my sensuality as a woman. Because I'm like, you know what? All this goodness, any man that doesn't find all this goodness appealing, then it's not for him. He just needs to move on. But that's not to say that I am not taking care of myself. I'm not being conscious of what I eat, my health. But my goal is fitness, to be fit and to lead a healthy lifestyle, not necessarily to be thin, to be accepted. So I think my sexual liberation came late, but I'm enjoying it still. And I'm glad of where I am now. Yeah, that is key. Because... I have been on different diets and I had a boyfriend say to me, he goes, we we're talking about getting married. Well, he was an emotional abuser yeah. anyways, but he was like, you're too fat to make my dick go up. Oh my God, that's terrible. <laughs> I was like, what? So that made me also much more aware that I have to lose weight. I have to do this. I was also suffering from an eating disorder, which I just really realized in the last few years. So it's like, excuse me, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> but what I want for myself is health. And I'm working towards that. But it's not to please some man. It's not like I have to look this way for you to love me. Mm. I am lovable who I am. Yeah. I want to be healthy. I want to feel better and look better myself. But it's not for you. It's for me. Yeah. 
I get that a lot. And I think that changes a lot in the life of a woman because you start living for you. You start loving yourself. And I think that's where the beauty within comes out because you're able to reflect that wholesomeness, that wholeness, that peace. You begin to radiate an aura that attracts people that would really love you for who you are and what you look like more to you than just trying to be what you're not. Absolutely. When you see these kind of things, this is why women have such issues. This is why, I mean, men do have eating disorders, but we're mostly it's women. The majority of people who have them are women. We want to be a look a certain way for this type of guy. Yeah. But you're right. It's the type of person we want to attract is actually somebody who we want to be with, who's going to want to be with us. Yeah. And I don't want to look good for some guy over here who's only going to love me because I'm now at the right body type. I want to be at the right body type for my sake, for health's sake, but I don't want to be there for this person. But that's not the person I want to be with anyways. So I want to be with somebody who who loves me for me, right? Yes. Because eventually, as a woman, there are things that would alter that body size. You look at childbearing, you look at hormones, you look at if you go through depression or stress, you know, most women put on weight. And so would you say because I am not looking like that or because I've gone through this period or phase of change, I'm no longer acceptable or beautiful to you? I mean... It doesn't make sense, really. It doesn't. There was one, I think it was one of your podcast episode, you were mentioning waiting on a man to kind of start to live your life. And I think so many of us women understand that because in our generation, it was, I need to be married to be somebody. I need to be married to have somebody to love me that makes me a whole person. And that's why I, in one of my previous podcast episodes, I was speaking about singleness with my best friend. And I said in that episode that when I was younger, I said, if I'm not married by the time I'm 30, I should, I'll probably just kill myself because I thought 30, if you're not married by that time, well, you're just an old maid. That's how I viewed it. And so now, I mean, I'm still not married and I'm 41, but I'm actually okay with it (laughs) (laughs) because... (laughs) I am actually a better person for not being married because of all the stuff that I've been able to learn and experience and grow. Whereas if I'd gotten married when I was younger, I probably wouldn't have had those experiences. And I'm not saying that if you're married, you can't have those experiences. But I know for me, I probably wouldn't have. And I would have found somebody who probably kept me down. Yes, (laughs) I can so relate with that. And I made that episode because I... I'm 33. I'll be 34 this year. And I've been going through a lot in my mind, a lot of questions. I've had people ask me, so what's up? Are you not going to get married? What's up? Your eggs are drying up. (laughs) What's up? Like, why are we not hearing any news of you? Because in the African culture, especially where I come from, The dignity, it is said that the dignity of a woman is the husband. You know, your husband is your crown. And so (laughs) if you don't have that crown on your head, that means you're not fully manifested as a woman. But then for the past 
for six to four months, I've been reviewing a lot of things about my life. I've been asking myself, okay, girl, now we are here. You'll be 34. Are you, is this what you want? Because to be honest, it's not like men are not coming, but you get to this certain age of your life as a woman, you begin to understand yourself and begin to want more. And I'm sorry to say a majority of men out there seem to have paused on their evolution. They still feel it's a man's world. <laughs> and so everything needs to revolve around them the way they think they are wants. And they seem not to be seeing that women are evolving. Women are wanting new things. Women are wanting more things. And they seem to fall below par of those needs. And you find single women saying, you know what? I will not settle for less, regardless of my age, regardless of whether my eggs are drying up. And thank, thanks to science, we have the IVF, we have adoption and all that. So it's almost like a, it's almost like a middle finger to you. <laughs> and all you think you are, I can live my life the way I want to. So I made that episode because I wanted women to know that, yes, I'm doing it afraid. I am not certain whether in the next three years, whether this will be my position, whether I would want to remain single or get married. But what I know is now where I am at the moment, I know I don't want anything less. I know I want companionship with someone that really understands and loves me. And I wouldn't do it because of the pressure that I need to have children or the pressure of expectation of society to want to meet a certain requirement as a woman because of my age. But it's painful to see that most African women are still in that mental trap, mental cage of thinking that they need to have a man or be partnered for their life to have meaning. And it's terrible. It's heartbreaking, really. It's heartbreaking because there is a lot to explore in the world. And we've not even explored half of it as human beings and as women. So why would you want to feel like doing it with someone else determines? And you know, also the reality is that when you end up getting married, you end up not doing those things. It robs you of that part of your life. So why wait? Why not start living? If the man comes, he meets you there. He knows, oh, you are this kind of person. And if he's the one, he sticks around. If not, you still live a fulfilled life. So for me, it's a win-win situation. It's a win-win situation. For sure. For sure. I mean, I've had people say, oh, you're single. You can go do whatever you want. And I used to be like, yeah, but I just want to be married. <laughs> but because I was single, I was able to go back to school. I moved to a different city. I was able to try different things. Now I'm starting a different career. And yeah. I mean, I might have maybe been able to do that if I had gotten married, but I probably would have had kids. And then that that makes it extra more difficult to, to kind of pursue those kind of things. It changes the dynamics. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I've had friends who felt kind of stuck. They're like, oh man, I wish I was single. And I used to be like, well, I'll switch. I'll trade with you. But now I'm like, no, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) But it's funny because how I grew up, feminists was looked at as like evil. Mm. Like, oh, the liberal feminists are burning their bras and they hate men. And I think that's still how my dad views it. We actually had a disagreement last year where (laughs) I said, wait, I'm trying to understand what is your definition of feminism? Because I, he's saying it's all evil. And I'm like, wait, I think we have different definitions of feminism, but he wouldn't let me talk and and kind of explore that. So I was like, okay, you know what? You're speaking at me. You're not trying to dialogue with me. So this is over, (laughs) which surprised him because (laughs) I was always the passive one. I would just give up, but now I'm speaking (laughs) my truth. But I think now, and I have a friend who I've discussed this with, and she's like, there's different kinds of feminists. I think with feminism, as with everything, there's always that abuse and deviation from the ideal. Now, when you call yourself a feminist, you get that look of witch, sadist, you hate men. But the feminism I grew up to understand and accept is the feminism that empowers me to be myself fully, fully, I try to emphasize fully because it's not about, okay, you can be a feminist on Monday and you can be a feminist on Tuesday, but Wednesday through Sunday, you cannot. Or you can be a feminist this much, but not any more than this. It's me being fully expressive of who I am as a woman. And so, but you find that some women seem to have gone through terrible things, hurt, abuse, and they've allowed it to take possession of their souls and mind. And so they bring it into feminism ideals and they taint it because it's more of a channel for them to express their hate, to further their agenda of hate. And I would always say that with such women, what they need is healing because that is really not feminism. And they are jeopardizing the work that women who are really trying to be themselves and trying to make space for other women difficult because everybody is thinking now feminism is women being rebellious. Yeah, there's a form of rebellion in it because, yeah. Nobody's going to give you freedom. (laughs) Nobody's going to hand it to you. You get the patriarchy will not hand you your freedom. So, but in the rebelliousness, there's also understanding. There's also logic. There's also finding ways that mustn't be violence. That mustn't be hate. That mustn't be, how do I put it now? That mustn't be vengeful, right? Because at the end of the day, the feminism I believe in, I believe in a feminism that we need men. We need men to coexist in life. We cannot exist alone. So I don't subscribe to the feminism that says that women don't need men. Even if it's not for partnership or relationships or marriage, 
we also need men because we cannot just live alone. There are things, there are uniqueness to the different gender that makes life beautiful and sweet. So that cannot be taken away <laughs> just because some people feel like they've gone through hot by the other gender. And so we should erase the men and kill them and take them off. <laughs> so yes, I don't subscribe to that feminism, but does it exist? Yes. And it's a function of a lot of things, really. <laughs> that is so true because we do tend to go to extremes mm. for with everything. You So if something's happening and, and like with the feminists in the 70s and 60s, there was more of, we're tired of this. And so we want to be heard. And it became more of like an anger towards men, which is understandable. Yes. But what we want to do is find that balance where, yeah, we are all here in this earth. We all need to learn how to live together. But we all want to find that, that we're all who we all have a place here and we're all equal. And so we're tired of being put down all the time. Yeah. I think we're trying to find that balance now, although, I mean, it always kind of goes up and down, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I think it's amazing. And I look at those women who came before us and I mean, I get angry over stuff. I can't even imagine. And we've gotten, we've gotten so far. I can't imagine what they had to deal with just trying to get the right to vote. And trying to get the right to like have a job and do these things that men were doing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, those women who are so strong, I would have just broken down and cried probably. <laughs> Sometimes I look at it. There are some movies I watch, those epic movies that depicts the state of women in those era. And I'm like, oh my God, I wouldn't have survived because I would have done something that would have they would have hung me or burned me on the stake because I wouldn't keep quiet. I wouldn't be silent. I would speak my mind. But yeah, I look at my mom and <laughs> I am happy for the woman she is, even though I, I wouldn't want to be like her. And I think that's okay. We may not want to be like our moms, but that doesn't mean that we don't love them. But it's just that we wouldn't want to become the woman that they they are. And I think also that's a kind of unfair because being the woman that they are was a function of their time and the things they had to go through, you get. But at the same time, I feel like they were women with grace. They had strength. By They were so resilient. They had to, you know, take everything in with the hope that the next, their daughters would be, they had to be what they were so that their daughters can be who they are today. They laid the foundation. And that is also why I feel like feminism in the different eras are different, right? The tactics and methods will always be different, but the ideals and what we are going for will be the same. And so when we run the risk of comparing and try to see, okay, who did it better? I think it's all shooting ourselves in the leg because with different generation and time comes with different dynamics, right? And there is no one. And with feminism, we are also learning. Like nobody has the blueprint or template. Feminism is something all of us, we are trying to figure out and trying to pave way for it to be that ideal, in quotes, 
that ideal movement that serves women. So there is bound to be mistakes. There is bound to be loopholes. There is bound to be gaps. But at, in the face of all this, unity is important because when we speak with one voice, we are able to achieve greater results. Because when we are saying the same things and moving towards the same direction, yes, we achieve what we want faster. So yes, with the feminism of the other eras, I think they laid the foundation for us to be able to, to fly. He laid the foundation for, for us to be able to fly. Our parents, our moms, we are not able to leave their marriages, but it also built that foundation for us to see what is wrong and what we shouldn't accept. So, which is also what fuels and empowers us to be the next best thing for the next generation of feminism. That is beautiful. I love what you said about the quiet strength. But when you have a quiet strength, man, that is powerful, right? That is so much more powerful than anything else. Now, one thing I also was thinking about is self-care and how a lot of times women, especially when they're mothers, they don't think that they can take time out to do things for themselves. It's always like, I have to take care of the kids. I have to take care of my husband. And they work themselves ragged to the point where they're always making sure, well, you eat first. And I got it. I know my sister's like this. If the kids and the husband are relaxing, she's like doing laundry and cleaning around because she's like, I got to get all this done. And I'm like, dude, when are you going to kind of just take a moment and have some time to yourself? And I think that's really difficult for women to do. And they're, we've probably been programmed not to do those things. What do you think? Yes, it's a big problem. <laughs> and you know, what I find that makes that thing very toxic is the fact that when you are a woman that do not subscribe to living, not living your life, you get not taking care of yourself. You are not seen as a good woman or a mother, a good mother, because the thinking and the socialization is that for you to be a good mother, it has to come with sacrifice. It has to come with putting your children and your husband before you, right? And so we have people that are running towards that to make it their goal in life, to make sure that people are seeing them do these things. To, they try to gauge their womanness and their motherhood with that standard. And for me, I think it's, it's very unfair because what he ends up doing is he robs you of your life. Because when you're well into your 40s and your 50s, when your children are leaving the house, they want to pursue their passion. They want to do things for themselves. You are left looking at yourself like, who the hell am I? What happened to me? You seem not to find your bearing, right? I've wasted my years on my children. Or maybe when your husband eventually leaves you for another woman, you begin to feel like it's my fault. Maybe I should have done this. I should have done that. But the problem is that you were not thinking of yourself in that whole mix. Nobody's saying you shouldn't sacrifice for your children. But at the same time, you as the caregiver, you as the love giver needs to be whole. You need to be centered. You need to be 
well for you to be able to give the best of you. And so sometimes you need to take out time for yourself, take out time for your mental health. So I'm going to speak in the context of my African culture. So as a woman, when your children, you build your life around your children. And so when they get married, there's this pressure to want your your daughter, your child that is a girl child to give birth so that you come and be a, a doula for her. Because somehow you find purpose in that. So your purpose still revolves around your children because if they don't give birth, you feel like, what am I going to do with myself? Like, what do I do with myself? And I think that is also how, you know, not thinking of ourselves robs us of, of our life later. Because when your children are gone, I think that's the time you, you even begin to live your best life. You dust your dreams and start going after it. You pick up your bucket list and start thinking of what's on the list that I'm going to tick off. But it's not so because the conditioning also do not allow you think for yourself and how you could be, enjoy your life. It's as if as a woman, if you decide to enjoy your life, you are doing the wrong thing. You can't be enjoying your life. You have to always look worn out. You have to always look scattered. <laughs> Everyone is looking good. Your house is looking clean. Everybody is together except you. So <laughs> it's quite unfair. And I think that's where women should start having a mental shift to start living their lives while they are being wives, mothers. All these things are roles. They shouldn't take away from the human being that you are, which is a woman. So even if those things are taken away from you, you shouldn't feel like you've lost or there's nothing else to live for. That is so good. What's most important is, first of all, you're taking care of yourself. And I always think of this when you're on an airplane and they say, put your, if the oxygen mask comes down, put yours on first. And I used to think, really? Shouldn't you put it on your kid first? Mm. But then they say, no, if you put it on your kid first and you pass out, what good are you? So put it on yourself first so then you can then help others. Because there have been times when I'm doing things for other people that I forget to take care of myself or I don't love myself enough to take care of myself. Yes. So, and it's also teaching your kids because if your kids constantly see you not taking care of yourself, but you're only taking care of everyone else, then they're going to pick up that. And you want them to see you taking care of yourself as well. So I think that's something that, I mean, it's more known now that you do have to do that. I think in, in how I grew up, we didn't really talk about that stuff. So, um, that is something that's really important for women to know and, and be like, no, I need to take care of myself. I'm worth it. I think what adds to that too is the fact that nobody teaches a woman stuff they should know. So you're being handed down the same methods that your great grandma did, what your grandma did, what your mother did. And so you're expected to walk that line. And so when you look back, you see nobody taught them self-care. Nobody taught them to prioritize themselves what they had around them, religion, tradition, culture, norms, 
everyone was saying, put everybody first before yourself. That's what makes you a good woman, a good wife, a good mother. So I wouldn't really blame them for that. But I thank God for awareness and the consciousness that is coming up among women that is making us see these things in the light of truth. Because a lot of women have lost their lives due to stress, due to poor mental health. And at the end of the day, the children and the husband you're doing it for move on with their life. They get married to another woman. Your children move on and call another person mother, you know, and they pursue their dreams and nothing changes. You get so they just mourn you for a while and that's it. So I think with the awareness that is going on around now, women are beginning to live better lives than the lives that women before us lived in terms of self-care. For sure. We need to talk about it more, I think, because sometimes we, we can get carried away with that, right? Actually, there was one thing when I had one of my emotional abuse episodes, we were talking about how women, it's so wonderful when we come together. And like you said earlier, we're united because we're so used to bashing each other. I had so many girls. I had boys make fun of me when I was little, but it was the girls, the mean girls that really hurt me because I guess I I expected the boys to make fun of me because that's what they do. But to have girls be so, so rude, so mean, and it's like, why are we doing this to each other? We need to just encourage each other, lift each other up. And and I think it's amazing. And I, I see it so often and I love it. I love how we encourage each other. And yeah, but I also see women not doing that. And it's very sad, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think the unity now has improved among women because we are beginning to realize the lies that we've been told growing up as women. Women are your their worst enemies. You are supposed to be in competition with your fellow woman and all that, all that lies. I think we're beginning to see the lies and the deception in it. And we're beginning to come out of it. And we're beginning to see the strength when we come together to stand for each other. And so we are able to move from that place. Because honestly, I think why most women do that or some women do that is because they feel like, and this is what I think, right? The patriarchal system is designed in such a way that it is genderless. And so whoever wears it, whoever takes the face of patriarchy, just goes ahead to perpetuate its ideals. I'll call it perpetuate because it never serves anybody. It's harmful, it's toxic. So, and that's why you find when women perpetrate patriarchy, it seems as if they are against their fellow women. But the truth is that they have come to believe ideals of patriarchy. Some people call them patriarchy queens. <laughs> so because they believe in these ideals due to socialization and how they've been groomed to think, they just go ahead and do these things. And so they appear as if they are enemies. They appear as if 
they are against women. But the truth is that they are wearing a mask and that mask is patriarchy that is perpetrating all those things. So I think sometimes when we see it, we have to look at it from the point of view that these women are still bound. They are still not liberated in their thinking. And yes, they are perpetrating these things. And yeah, the best we could do because, and this is also what I think, feminism will not be accepted by every woman. And so we shouldn't expect that all women should accept feminism, you get. And so when we see that happening, we should also try to be like, okay, fine. If this is what you believe in, that's fine. But don't bring it in my space because this is what I believe in. And if you cross my boundaries, then whatever you get, that's what you get. So you see women be in abusive relationships. They still stay there because they feel like they need to. And when you try to convince them and it doesn't work, you don't have to force them. You don't have to pull them out of those relationships or those marriages until they are ready to, because these ideals must come from a place of conviction. You have to see yourself that you are worth more than what you're going through, that you are worthy of good things that you deserve more for you to be able to leave. And so in that fight of, I know, I think I have derailed and digressed a bit, but I felt like I needed to say that so that we begin to see these things that not every woman will join the cause of feminism. And that's fine. That's absolutely true. Even myself, when, cause I've been on this journey from how I grew up, we were not feminists and it was kind of like this evil thing, evil liberal thing and my own journey in that. And I'm like, whoa, no, it didn't have to be this way. But I would say things like, oh, I just wanted to get married and I'll do the cleaning and cooking and that's all I'm good for. I really just thought that that's all I had. So I was like, oh, I just need to get married. So my husband will take care of me and I'll just do the cooking and cleaning and raising the kids. Now I understand the potential I have and I'm I'm working towards something I really enjoy, but that's an attitude that a lot of women have or they grow up with or they really don't understand the potential that they have. Okay, I talk a lot of smack about my childhood. It wasn't that bad. I didn't have a terrible childhood. There's just things that come up where you realize what you grew up with what was tolerable in those days is not necessarily good. And of course, we all carry baggage from our childhood. We all carry, we all have parents who are not perfect. So, and my dad did try to teach me about cars, about changing a tire and changing the oil. And I actually had no interest. Uh, So that was on me. (laughs) So it wasn't like he wasn't, teaching us, trying to teach us those things. But in the culture of what, how I grew up and how I believed about myself, that I wasn't worthy enough even to be a woman, even to be somebody who had thoughts and ideas and could pursue anything. Um, that was a lot of my own self-esteem issues, but also in the culture I was brought up in. So it's very convoluted, complicated. It's it's kind of a big mess and I'm still navigating through all this stuff. So I do not have it figured out. And sometimes I get excited and sometimes I get angry and sometimes 
It's just a whole mess of emotions that happen. Rita, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me and giving your insight and your perspective. And I, I told Rita already, but she's, she speaks so well and she has this, she has this great understanding of the world around her and the world inside of her and who she is. And I really admire that. So Rita, you inspire me. Thank you so much. So be sure to check out Rita and the Girl Unplugged podcast on Anchor and basically anywhere you listen to podcasts and check her out on Instagram at the Girl Unplugged podcast, which is all one word. So I'm wrapping up season one of the Stuff Up podcast and I'll I should be back in August. I'm not really sure at this point, actually. I'm, I've got a lot going on. I'm working on a career. I'm doing different things. And so I'm just kind of stressing out and the podcast is just a little bit too much for me at the moment. Although in a few months, I will be publishing my first children's book. It's called What Should Dragon Do? And it's based on my time living with roommates And, uh, so, so watch out for that on my social media. I know I say this all the time, but no, I'm really excited because May 31st is going to be the season finale. And I've, I have a really special guest on somebody who I admire so much. And, uh, (laughs) and if you're a teen girl, okay. If you were a teen girl in the nineties and early two thousands or teen, oh, you could be in your 20s and 30s and 40s. I don't know. You might geek out a bit because I'm welcoming somebody from that era. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. So yeah, I'm excited. May 31st, season finale of the Stuff Up podcast. We are going to be talking about boundaries. Oh, what a needed topic, a difficult thing to do. We all have had issues with boundaries. We all find it difficult at, at points. And it's, uh, it's something I, I love hearing about. It's, I find it fascinating. Uh, <laughs> and also so challenging to do because it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to set boundaries. And then, oh, it's just really hard to set boundaries with people when they get mad. <laughs> so yeah, mark it on your calendar, May 31st, talking about boundaries. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me on Instagram, stuff up underscore podcast, Facebook, stuff up podcast, email me at stuff up podcast at gmail.com. Check out my blog at stuff up podcast.com. And if you can hit that subscribe button, and review the podcast. That would be such a wonderful gift to me. Thank you so much. So my lovelies, have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful rest of your week. I hope you go out there and make it a great day. Bye.